Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let me open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into uh, our quarterly conference. Father, we thank you for your grace. We're thankful for the time we can have uh, together around your table and the remembrance of all that you have done for us, are doing for us, and will do for us. We pray that, Lord, you would minister your grace in our time of uh, navigating through uh, the future for where we desire to head, and clarity in that, and and, uh, confidence and unity in the midst of our diversity. And so that's what we're praying for this evening. And so lead us and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, here you see on the opening page... uh, the uh, agenda and the order of business that we uh, are going to be helping navigate our time through. And so is there a motion to adopt the order of business as you see spelled out uh, up until the bolded section that speaks of our previous conference? Motion got a second. All in favor, aye. All opposed, the same. All right, motion accepted. So with that being said, I want to take just a few moments. We'll pick up and review, and then we'll have the opportunity to accept the, the minutes from our previous conference. It'll begin, once again, in that bolded section. It says, Quarterly Con- Church Conference, June 28, 2015, and it concludes on the second page with the Dine Marks Church Clerk um, at the bottom of page two. So take a moment just to read those, review those, and then can I have a motion to accept it once they've been reviewed? Is there a second? Okay. All in favor of accepting the minutes from the previous conference, say aye. All opposed, the same. Motion accepted. All right. So, review uh, and acceptance of printed reports. Now, take a moment now, beginning on page three, and reviewing the printed reports that will take you through uh, uh, to the bottom of page uh, five there with the worship team, worship ministry team. And uh, then we'll have an opportunity to accept the printed reports from there. And then we'll, we'll walk through our new business, which will probably take up the most of our time.
All right. If you've had a chance to review the printed reports, you need, is there a motion to accept the printed reports as seen? So second. All, right. All in favor, aye. All opposed, the same. All right. Now we'll transition to new business. And so in this, the recommendations that will be coming, that's where you'll find, if you'll turn your attention to the uh, revised and adoption, re revised and hopefully adopted version of the Constitution and bylaws and, uh, sometime in the future. Uh, but uh, this time, uh, once again, there's a lot to review here as far as 23 pages, and we want to give you a chance to be able to look at them and have that opportunity to navigate through the document itself. Some of what we wanted to be able to communicate tonight, and, and Pastor Tim, if you're going to make your way up here to the podium, to, uh, is to be able to just to explain uh, major distinctiveness, <coughs> distinctions between how um, uh, the, this Constitution bylaws uh, looks in light of our previous Constitution and bylaws. And so, uh, Pastor Tim is going to begin to walk through that. Once again, not, not a whole lot of opportunity tonight that we want to take to be able to, just for sake of time uh, and for sake of clarity, to be able to make sure we are navigating a ton of questions about it. But we do, and we have a lot at, at 6 o'clock next Sunday night, a, a good portion of time for questions and Q&A. And so we'll be able to provide uh, uh, opportunity to answer many of the questions you have. We will, first want to just at least start you off on the right track. And so Pastor Tim is going to come and begin to explain the distinctives to this. Uh, and begin to walk through uh, this Constitution and Bylaws for us. So Pastor Tim, you come. But it, it is exciting to be here with this document in hand. Know that there's been a lot of work that has gone on behind the scenes, whether on my part or I know the uh, way it's been prepared through just sermons, uh, teaching, Wednesday night activities that have happened over the past few years. And I've had the privilege to listen to a lot of the sermons before I came and uh, listen to the way in which a lot of these topics have been addressed over the past few years in preparation of this time right now. And I know that a lot of work has gone into preparing this document even before I came. And and, and over the past few months, I know that we've been very focused on trying to get a document that we believe is an accurate reflection of what the Bible teaches in these areas. And so it is somewhat of an exciting thing to have a document that we're going to put forward. It, uh, I, I suppose it feels a bit like taking a test. Uh, you know, you study and you prepare and you get ready to take the test. And then you, after you take it, you feel so much better. Well, right now is that moment for us. And so... <laughs> But as you go through this document, one of the things that I want to do is I want to try to walk through some of the main features of what we're looking at first. So as you just look at your table of contents, that'll be a guide that will help you to look through the various uh, features of the document. And I'm going to try to point out some of these things. And so as you, uh, as you think about what is in this document, in contrast to what's in the other, we'll, we'll talk about some of the distinctives in terms of the uh, content, but um, there, there, are all, there is also some structural changes. And so within our document itself, I, uh, as you notice on your table of contents, article number three, the doctrinal statement, which begins on page two. Well, if you turn to page two, what you'll see is we have a fairly comprehensive statement of faith that we have included in the Constitution and bylaws. And so what, some of the main things that we've wanted to do uh, for some time now is to get a more comprehensive statement of faith 
that will be an accurate uh, reflection of what has been taught over the past um, eight years or so since uh, Pastor Kevin's been here. And so what we what we wanted to do is have a, a, a fuller statement of faith that uh, defines ourselves in a more specific way uh, for a variety of reasons, some of which has to do with uh, the recent uh, Supreme Court decision with uh, Obergefell versus Hodges. It's important to have more information as, as far as what you believe and not less. I think the logic before, whether or not it was a good logic uh, for many churches, was that you want to be vaguer so that you don't risk offending people. Well, I think now the logic is you want to be more specific so that people will have a clear indication of where you're at. Now, whether or not either one of those is a good logic, uh, uh, what we've sought to do in this statement of faith is give you a fairly comprehensive one. Uh, so in our doctrinal statement, it begins with, I'll just talk, I'll just point you to some of the main headings there on page two. You'll see it begins with the Holy Scriptures, and that's intentional because how do you know anything about God without His Word? And so you start with the Scriptures, and then you have a section on God um, on page four. Or page five, you'll ha- you'll have the section that starts with the uh, doctrine of man, and then uh, page six, doctrine of salvation, and so we'll speak to various matters related to that. Uh, and then on page eight, doctrine of the church, we spell out in some uh, specificity the doctrine of ch- the church there, and then after that, angels, last things, and there's a section on the family there which we've um, we-, we have in order to. Just to explain what we believe about male and female and uh, marriages or issues related to human sexuality, that sort of thing. And uh, and then after that, we have a just a statement on what it means to be a Christian. And so we're um, that would be our, our statement of faith that, as you see, I mean, it goes from page two to page into page 13. So we we have uh, some time devoted to that. Now, um, also, what's what's new in terms of just additions uh, in terms of. Things that weren't included in uh, such a direct way in the statement of faith as we do have a church covenant, which is a bit different here. So um, in your article 5 on church membership, uh, page 13, um, you have uh, the purpose and definition of church membership and then qualifications of church membership. And on page 14, you'll have this church covenant that is listed that uh, goes all the way through the middle of page 15 there. So uh, going forward, any new member that comes to join our church will be required to walk through. What we're going to do is we're going to give them the whole document, and then uh, they'll uh, note any disagreements with the statement of faith as they read through that, and then they'll be, uh, requiring, uh, be required to sign the church covenant. And really, I mean, the uh, the issue with either one of those things is we just... Uh, we're hoping that those will be means by which we can have a better understanding of where people are coming from. And we want to spell out what we're going to be teaching so that people will know as they come in on the front end what what are the kind of things that you're going to be hearing here so that you can better see, is this a good fit for you? But then as uh, you read through the church covenant, church covenant, those are just some of the basic expectations of church members that we've taught through on our church study. So uh, here's what we expect out of a church member. Here's what you're committing to in joining our church. And we want to spell those things out and have that um, clear on the front end. And so those are uh, basically the, the main features of this document you see that you see there's a doctrinal statement included. And then you see 
that there's a church covenant which is also included in that document. So what we believe, uh, what you're committed to in joining, and then the rest of the document is really devoted to matters that are related to how we're going to govern our affairs here. So uh, basically you spell out the process for decision-making and that sort of thing and how you understand relationships between members of the congregation. So that's um, the bulk of it is devoted to really matters related to governing, and then you have in there your doctrinal statement and church covenant. So that gives you sort of a, I guess, a broad overview about what you're looking at in general. So uh, that being said, in terms of the governing document itself, what are some of the differences? Well, I've tried to divide the differences in two main categories uh, in order to maybe talk about those things clearly. So what, as you look at this document, get uh, uh, ignore the statement of faith for a second. Ignore the church covenant for a second. As you look at the governing document itself, what's the difference between this and the 2003 uh, bylaws that we had um, um, before? Now, uh, two main areas of differences. Uh, there's some other features that I, I think maybe are not as you know, significant. But um, in terms of the two main differences, first of all, I think we were trying to give substance and shape to membership. So uh, we've spent some time in our church study talking about membership itself. And so what we're wanting to do is give some uh, sort of explanation about what we understand membership to be. And the, the phrase to keep in mind as, you, as I walk through some of these differences is the phrase meaningful membership. So we believe that being um, a member of a church is... Uh, a big deal. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it other than just to say that it's a, it is a, it is a commitment that you're making, and it, and it's an important commitment you're making. And there's more to it than just kind of having your name put on a church roll, uh, and and uh, that being the end of it. And so I think uh, what we're trying to do is spell out what do we mean by member, meaningful membership. How should that look? And so one of the things that is different, if you turn to page 17. What we're, what we're trying to do moving forward is we're trying to do away with uh, this uh, distinction between an active member and an inactive member. And so in terms of uh, page 17, I know that many, uh, many, I would say it's particularly true of many Southern Baptist churches, but they're, uh, particularly I think with many Southern Baptist churches, you have a, a role that doesn't really reflect the people who actually show up and are committed to serving your church. And so you have a role that's more of a historical document in that way in which it describes anyone who has ever uh, at any point in time determined to join your church and then people remain on that role until at some point they decide to get off the role. So whether or not they actually are actively involved in the church or not, they're on a role. And so then uh, some of the ways in which you, I think, churches have tried to address that problem of having a group of people that are on your role that aren't actually actively involved in the life of your churches try to make a distinction between an active role and an inactive role. And I think that that's probably not a good way to go about doing it. And so uh, as we're thinking through what we want to do moving forward, we, uh, as we've talked through the subject of membership in general, uh, some of the things that we've said is we've, we've talked through the responsibilities of church members. So we want our role to be an accurate reflection of people who are actively serving in our church. We want the role to be uh, on you know, the 
So there's some responsibilities that people have in joining our church. Let's make sure that people are taking part of those responsibilities. And so uh, on the flip side of that, then as a church leader, you look at your role and you say, this is the group of people that I'm responsible to care for their souls. And so I want to know who that is. And I want that to be, uh, so, you know, in terms of just thinking about it from the perspective of leaders, who does God hold me accountable uh, to watch after their soul? And and, and so I want to have a, a role that's reflective of people who want me looking out for their souls and then uh, people that uh, I'm responsible to look after their souls. And so as you see here on page 17, uh Part of the, you have this whole church discipline process spelled out that I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, number seven there, you see separate and apart from the process of church discipline, but subject to the discretion and approval of the elders, the names of any members who have not attended a worship service for a period of six months or longer may be removed from the membership roles. And so uh, what you see there is you see if... Uh, if a period of six months goes by and, the, and a person hasn't attended any of our services or functions, there will be a process by which we remove those members from those names from a role. And, and the, you know, things will accompany that sort of removal. There would be some sort of reaching out to those individuals uh, to get a feel for whether or not they've actually joined another church or uh, th- there'll be those kind of, there would be those kind of processes uh, coming before. But the, the basic point that I'm trying to make is we want, um, we want our roles to be an accurate reflection of who's involved in our church, who's committed to our church, and uh, those uh, responsibilities spelled out on both sides. And so, we, moving forward, we, uh, if we adopt this document here, there won't be a distinction between active and inactive. Is what I'm saying. We'll just have members, and so who are who who are our members, and who are we responsible? to uh, love as a congregation and serve as a congregation, and we want to spell those things out. And um, it's important. I mean, as you as you think through just the subject of church discipline in general, the Bible says don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. So just, uh, just thinking about a person who, um, for whatever reason, uh, has not attended your assembly for six months, well, I mean, they could they could be attending another assembly, but they could not be attending any assembly. And so it's just it's not a morally neutral thing there. And I think part of just having a church discipline process will help us to better shepherd and care for the souls of people who uh, are on our rolls but then aren't here. And so I th- that's that's one of the distinctions that will be uh, between just the idea of membership. So there's this role issue, first of all. Um, second, uh, second of all, in terms of this meaningful membership concept that... Uh, we're trying to spell out. Uh, we we have spelled out certain commitments to being a member, so that's related to the church covenant you find on page fourteen. So, just thinking in terms of this phrase, meaningful membership. Well, you're not going to have an active inactive role. You're going to have a membership that means something, uh, and so those commitments that you're making for being a member are spelled out in a church covenant. That people going forward are going to sign the church covenant saying. I believe that this church covenant is an accurate reflection of what the Bible teaches a member should be responsible for. And so uh, there's spelled out commitments there to a church, to a particular local body. Uh, And then third, we we haven't had a church discipline process spelled out uh, before. And so I think, hopefully, I'm hoping that this um, church discipline process is about as comprehensive as you can get. Uh, There's eight different... uh, uh, I think there's eight different uh, 
paragraphs there that are, are, are attempting to elaborate on this process of church discipline that uh, I, I think uh, it really is spelled out in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 and some other passages in general. But uh, basically what we have there is we have a church discipline process that will spell out, that will help us to uh, moving forward. And so anyone who joins our church going forward, they'll be able to read our bylaws and see, hey, there's a church discipline process. We're coming to this church because we want to be cared for in this way. And so you, uh, in, in point number one on page 16, you have the threefold purpose of church discipline to glorify God by maintaining purity in the local church, to edify believers by deterring sin, and to promote the spiritual welfare of the offending believer by calling him or her to return to biblical standard of doctrine and conduct. So you have the, that um, threefold purpose, and then following that, um, you basically have a process that we're going to follow in terms of just the stages of church discipline. Uh, what do you do if they... Uh, repent. What do you do if they don't repent? All that, all that we've talked through many, many times. Uh, I, I can think of numerous sermons that have been addressing that uh, subject in general. Just so that this isn't sort of a shock here, uh, we, we've talked through all these things. And um, number four, it kind of gives a rationale for proceeding directly to the third stage of church discipline. And so, uh, in general, uh, in general, you want to. Uh, church discipline starts with a private confrontation, and then it starts with, uh, then it uh, follows with bringing two or three witnesses, and then after that, there's sort of a process of informing the church. Uh, but then there are times when you proceed directly to that third stage, and those are spelled out here in number four, basically in terms of if there's a sin that's been very public in nature, there's no reason to get two or three witnesses to confirm every fact. You have a bunch of witnesses already. It's a public sin. And so I think that there's a process and a rationale there for uh, for engaging in that. And you can read that. I'm not going to walk through um, all that right now for the sake of time. But th- that is definitely something that um, will um, is a feature of this document that we try to have a careful process laid out. So uh, in terms of the main differences between this document and the last one, I've talked about one, the first main difference is this concept of meaningful membership that's been applied to uh, just having a membership role that reflects the people who show up and serve in our church. No active versus inactive distinction. There's just membership. Um, and then uh, spelled out commitments to church government, uh, church discipline process. So I think that's the first major um, distinction here between the two. Uh, now, in terms of the second major difference, and maybe I'll spend a little bit more time on this, hopefully not too long. Uh, well, uh, there's so much to say, and I'll try to keep from blabbing. Um, we'll see if I can stick to that promise here. Um, but uh, the second major distinction is a government change. And so the heart of any uh, bylaws is a, a governing. Per, it's a document which basically expresses your dov- governing procedures, and and so it's important to think through where we're at and how we got here. And, and so I'll spend a few minutes just dealing with uh, some issues of just context, putting us where we're at, and uh, why are we here? Why are we seeking to change these things? How have we got here? Those sort of questions. And so um, the uh, last official bylaws document that we have. Uh, I believe I, I had it with me, and then I left it at home, but it was a 2003 document 
that uh, it may be helpful to walk through some of those things in the Q&A next week. But uh, we had the, the last uh, document we had was the 2003 document. And among other things, what that document was, was it spelled out, uh, for, lack of better, um, for lack of a better term, term, it spelled out a form of congregational ruled government, which is the only way I know how to describe it is it, it's a church council-led form of congregationalism. And so if you'll bear with me, I'll try to explain a few different terms uh, because I know that when you speak to some of these things, it can be that we're using different vocabulary. And it's important that we all speak the same language. And so uh, I'll see if I can try to walk through some of those terms because I know that some of them can be just uh, foreign terms. But uh, congregational form of church government, if you want to write these things down or just uh, follow them away, it may be helpful so that we can explain the differences. But a, a congregational form of church government is a form of church government that believes that um, the uh, local church is autonomous or self-governed. So all congregational churches believe that the church, the local church, should be free from outside uh, ecclesiastical control. So I um, basically, as you think through the um, the way a congregational church works, we're governed from within, not from without. So you don't have a, a presbytery outside the church who makes decisions on a local church level. As a Baptist church, as a Southern Baptist church, we're autonomous, meaning we're self-governed. We're governed from within, meaning that the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't tell us uh, how to make decisions, who we can hire, uh, uh, I, I was involved in the CMA for a while uh, because of one of the uh, – I mean, I, I do have some doctrinal disagreements with the CMA, but I I was involved in a CMA church once, and uh, every the, – the pastor left the church, and then you have a, um area director who was responsible f- to fill the position there. So that's not a, an autonomous local church, you understand. That's a, that's, a, that's a church that has a hierarchical structure that's governed from without. So you have a, the district supervisor there making decisions about who the next, next pastor is going to be in the church after the pastor leaves. And so um, that would be um, not a congregational church. So all congregational churches are self-governed, meaning they're, auto- they're autonomous, meaning they're self-governed, meaning they're ruled from within. Now, the, dif- the difference between... There's a wide variety of differences between how you govern from within. Okay, so you, if you're congregational, you means you're governed from within. But then, who is the one who do, who does the governing, or how should the governing be done? And so that you have various uh, disagreements on how that should look. But the basic principle is you're congregational if you're governed from within. So, uh, what we had in our 2003 document was a form of church. Government, which I the only way I know how to describe it is a, a church council led form of church government, and so what you have is um, a situation where you have a church council which is made up of uh, you know the head of the deacons and then uh, the senior pastor and then uh, various committee heads and you, you just have a, a group of individuals who are pulling together to form a church government uh, church council and so then they're leading the congregation in decision making so that's how the document works you have a church council that leads the uh, congregation in decision making and so all it, it wasn't a pure let me see if I can define several terms so uh, 
it was it was congregational rule, and what that means is that the congregation as a whole is considered the highest human authority in the church. So they're the highest um, court of appeal. Um, but then it was uh, it wasn't a pure democracy in that in every single situation that the decisions required to be made. There wasn't a vote that was done on every single decision. So there was checks and balances or certain responsibilities that are delegated to this group and to that group and to this committee and to the board of deacons and then uh, then to the pastor. And so you have a series of – you have the congregation being considered the highest human authority, and then they're delegating certain responsibilities to different groups within the church. And then on big decisions, they come together and vote in a congregational way. So that's the only way I know how to describe the church council led former church government in a simple way. It was it was um, sort of a mix between a representative democracy and uh, it, it's sort of a representative democracy, but then it, there, there were certain big decisions that were made on the basis of congregational vote. Now, uh, when Pastor Kevin, Kevin came, I believe, eight years ago, is that right? Eight, 2007? Okay. 2007, uh, one of the things that uh, happened during that time was... Um, Pastor Kevin uh, came with the understanding that uh, a ch- this church council-led situation wasn't an accurate reflection of what the Bible taught on how a church should be governed. And so um, what, he, uh, what he understood the Bible to be teaching at that point was something more along the lines of a pastor-led uh, church government. So a pastor-led form of church government. And so as I've kind of done some research on this, I don't know that 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 everyone understands sort of the transition that happened upon his hire, if that makes sense. And so there was a transition that happened upon hiring Pastor Kevin. Pastor Kevin came here with the understanding that if he was going to be the pastor here, we would um, we would no longer operate on the basis of a church council-led form of church government, but that we would move to a pastor-led form of church government. And that's reflected in the offer letter that was given him. And so it contingent upon his hire was a change in church government, that uh, wasn't immediately spelled out. And so immediately there wasn't bylaws that uh, spelled out that sort of uh, understanding about how the church should be governed. And so I think moving forward, I I don't know that everyone understands the the change that happened there. And so now we're at a point in time where we want to nail those things down and then describe what do we believe the Bible to be teaching on uh, this subject of church government. And in doing so, I think what we've... What we're wanting to put forward is a document which is, uh, among other things, described as the plurality of elders. So we believe the Bible uh, teaches that the highest human authority in the church should be a plurality of elders. And uh, the document itself is going to reflect that. And so that's where we're at today. And I'd be happy to elaborate on any of those those things if there's any questions uh, I know that Pastor and Kevin and myself would be happy to take any questions along those in, but I'm just trying to give you a brief sort of historical feel of where we were, what we moved to upon hiring Pastor Kevin, and then what we're trying to move to today. And so this document reflects what we believe is a biblical understanding of how the church should be governed. And so um, that being said... Now, as I've said... Um, the basic way you understand a form of church government is just to answer the question, who is the highest human authority in the church? And 
that, uh, I, you know, I don't want to overuse that word authority, but there's really no other way to d- describe what you're talking about than to use that word. And so uh, just to give you an example with a home, who's the, uh, as you look to the scriptures, you, you ask yourself, well, who is the, what does the Bible teach? that uh, Who should be the highest human authority in the home? And so however you answer that question will determine how the family runs. You understand? So uh, I believe the Bible teaches that the husband is the highest human authority in the home. So uh, what that means is he's the, he's the one who's ultimately responsible to make decisions, and he's going to be accountable to the decisions that he makes. And so a wise husband won't um, use that authority in a way that's self-serving or selfish. I mean, uh, Jesus... Uh, a wise, a wise husband will use that authority in order to serve and benefit his family and to lead his family into faithfulness to Christ. And so uh, it, you would be in a very bad situation if you're uh, being asked to obey and submit to a husband who uses the God-given authority given him to uh, benefit him in a selfish way, right? And so, I mean, no one wants to be in that kind of situation where, uh, you know, you, you get the impression that... Uh, you have a person who uses his authority in a self-centered way, uh, but then there has to be some sort of leader. Decisions have to be made in some sort of way. And so we believe uh, in the home that the highest human authority is the husband. And so that's what the scriptures would say. Well, uh, as you think about how that works in the church, we, we believe that the Bible teaches that the highest human authority in the church is a group of elders. And, and so that's what our document will be spelling out. Uh, that's... Uh, so as as I walk through some of the features of this document, what you're going to be noticing is the, the document is elaborating on that basic understanding. So we're a congregational church in that we believe we should be ruled within, governed from within. But then how does the Bible teach that that um, governing should look? Well, who should be the highest human authority in terms of uh, the governing authority within the church? We believe that the Bible teaches a group of elders should be that Group And that should come as no shock. I think that's what we've been trying to teach in a variety of ways. That's what uh, Pastor Kevin's been teaching for years now as you listen to the sermons and everything else. And so, uh, but what we want to do is we want to have a document that's explicit about that and walks through common situations. So um, basically what we have here in this document is a governing change. Now, um, as you think through this governing change uh, it may be helpful to walk through some of the um, relevant uh, passages within the document itself that will address the governing change. And so uh, if you, uh, I think maybe for the past hundred years, there have been many uh, congregational churches which have considered the congregation as a whole to be the highest human authority. And so then that's reflected in how they've made decisions. And so what are the things that most churches vote on, for instance? Well, uh, selection of leaders, for instance. So as you think through uh, what uh, many American churches will uh, consider uh, decisions to vote on, you would say selection of leaders, you would say uh, uh, Receiving into membership, removing it, uh, people from membership, uh, then you would also um, say uh, matters related to bylaws. And so anytime you have a bylaw change, you're going to have a, some sort of vote of, which some, with some sort of percentage there. And then uh, probably big decisions in terms of decision to 
buy a property, uh, buy property or that sort of thing. And so those are kind of the main things that you, as you think through a way, uh, docu- uh, uh, the document where the highest human authority is considered the congregation as a whole, there you're going to have the major decisions that are ran um, through the highest human authority in that way. And so, no, I mean, obviously, I don't know that any church operates as a pure democracy in that way. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. You want to go buy a stapler, then you vote on it. I mean, you just... No church runs that way, and so it's always there's always a delegated authority in that way. Uh, but then, what we, what this document is, and I want to be very specific about it. We're moving away from that understanding of what the, what the church should be, and so as you just, I mean, part of the way to have a profitable conversation about this subject is really just to look at um, look at the scriptures, and then. You ask a variety of questions. For instance, what is the warrant for democracy in the Bible, whether pure or representative? Where do we find, uh, in it? where do we find that impulse in the in the Bible, whether whether a pure democracy or representative democracy? Uh, I think that we're more influenced by our American form of church government at that point than what the scriptures are saying. Uh, another question: What is the warrant for a separation of powers in the Bible? Now, that makes good politics. Is that what the Bible teaches? I mean, is that can we find that in the Scriptures? If so, where? Show, show us the passages. Where are they at? Uh, because I, I, we want to be biblical above all things. So what, what is the warrant for separations of powers? What is the warrant for checks and balances? What is the warrant for seeing the congregation as the highest human authority in the church? What is the warrant for uh, committees that function in an authoritative manner, which serve as checks and balances? What is the warrants for deacons to be seen as an authoritative body? So all these sorts of questions are the questions that I think you look at the the uh, state of the American church, and these things are taken as givens, and I think we want to say, well, what's the warrant for it? Show me the passages. Show me the verses. Uh, let's make a case for these sorts of things. And, uh, I mean, above all else, I think we want to um, we want to do what the Bible says. And so as you think through, well, what does the Bible say? Uh, what does the Bible say on this on these issues? I, I think you see that there, it's very difficult to prove any of those things that I've said. But what you do see is there is a group of individuals who are given qualifications uh, that the in um, uh, certain responsibilities and certain titles. And so, as you look through the scriptures, you see that the scripture would call um, the group of elders responsible to shepherd a flock. They're called overseers. Um, they're um, so overseers oversee, right? I mean, so uh, they're they're individuals who are described as exercising oversight. Um, it, it, they're described as leaders. So uh, Hebrews uh, thirteen seventeen, I believe, says. Um, sometimes my references are off. Um, but Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And so the scriptures would teach there is a group of leaders that, you're, uh, that there are certain authority relationships that are defined there. And so uh, those same things are the same kind of words are given in the home. And so we see uh, elders in the church as a parallel between how a home should work. And so it, just in terms of. What kind of home, for instance, would, let's say that, uh, let me just give you an example in the home. Well, an example in the home, a husband um, 
loses his job, uh, doesn't have a way to provide for his family. He knows the Bible calls him to a um, man who doesn't provide for his fam- his own household, has abandoned the faith, is worse than an infidel. So then he needs a new job. That job is going to require moving. It's a, you know, it's a big decision. Well, a wise leader in that case would consult his family, would talk through the situation with his family. But then how do you make the decision? How do you make the decision in the home? Would you would you uh, would you pull the kids and then you say let's all vote on this and determine what the best thing to do is? Well, you could, but I mean, I I don't think that that would be something that the scriptures would command. And in in a analogous way, as you think through um, what the scripture teaches with uh, how the church should be run, I think it's it's an analogous situation. So I think we just. What we want to do is we want to look for the warrant for the democracy, the warrant for voting, the warrant for separations of powers, checks and balances. I think that these things, we've inherited these things from American government, but I don't know that they're reflective of what the Bible is teaching on these things. And so as you look through, I've, I've talked about the major things that typical churches will probably vote on. Well, in the document itself, we'll just kind of walk through some of those main features and show you where we've landed on these things. But... Um, So uh, I talked about the typically a congregational ruled church will vote on receiving members and uh, removing members. Well, in page 15, you see here on um, membership process, number four, page 15, the last sentence of, uh, of, of, numer- of number one there. You see, uh, well, you just start with the first sentence. All requests for membership shall be made to the elders. Uh, upon making such a request, the person shall be given an application for membership along with a copy of the Statement of Faith, the Bylaws, the Church Covenant. At least two elders will meet with the applicant following the receipt of the application in order to review their application, hear their testimonies, seek evidence of a godly lifestyle. Each uh, application shall assent to the Statement of Faith, subscribe to the Bylaws, sign the Church Covenant. Any questions or disagreements with the statement of faith or bylaws must be indicated in the membership application. And so then it says the elders will evaluate these questions or disagreements to determine whether the the request for membership will be approved. And so you see um, this. uh, uh, That would be a difference between the two form of documents. One would be you would require a vote to receive people into membership, and the others be a a determination made on the part of the elders after an evaluation to uh, receive a person into membership. And now um, the third step there is applicants admitted to uh, membership shall, if possible, present themselves at the worship service designated by the pastor, teacher, and board of elders at which the service. Such applicants shall publicly affirm their membership commitment and be publicly acknowledged as members. So there's not a vote to receive at that point. There's just... uh, presenting to the congregation. Similarly, with the church discipline process, um, if you look on the next page, you see um, there's a step, there's a process that's outlined about, um, you know, a private confrontation, bringing two or three witnesses. But then uh, at the bottom of number two here, uh, go to... On page 16, number two, go to the third sub-point in there. It says, uh, it shall be brought to the attention of the Board of Elders if the Board of Elders determine after a thorough uh, investigation in accord with the procedures uh, prescribed by pertinent scripture, including Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5, that there is corroborating evidence that the erring individual has sinned or is continuing in in sin, then... uh, 
that he or she has been appropriately confronted and that he or she has refused to repent, the board of elders shall inform the church. So we understand Matthew 18 to be saying if he refuses to uh, uh, repent after the second confrontation, tell it to the church. Well, what does that mean? The board of elders shall inform the church and the congregation thereof at a regularly scheduled worship service in order that the church may call the erring individual to repentance. And so at each point along those lines, you have, uh, if the person demonstrates repentance, then notice to that effect will be given at a regularly scheduled worship service. But as you see, there's sort of a, it's, it's not a democratic process in that way where you vote on, to, you know, determining whether to present this. And then if they refuse to um, repent, then you vote on removing them, you vote on receiving them. Uh, we, we just don't see the teacher, uh, the scriptures teaching that. And so we're trying to be faithful to what the Bible says. Um, now, uh, Page 17, Eldership, Article 7, Governance. Uh, in its operation, the church will be governed by a group of godly men called elders. And so what we're trying to say is this document is reflecting uh, the conviction that God has called a group of men called elders to be the ones who are responsible to governing the church. And we've tried to set out an argument for that just in terms of our sermons on the elders, our sermons on church polity, everything else. I'm sure that there will be some questions along those lines, and uh, I can't anticipate all those questions, but I'm trying to show you what the document is saying and just to save you some time in terms of just uh, knowing uh, right off the bat where uh, where we're coming from there. And So as you can see on uh, page 18, you have a list of powers there that um, I think somehow the... Let's see. I may have mixed up my... Oh, no, no. Yeah, page 18, the top of that, you see the powers of... Or the responsibilities of elders, however you want to describe it. So listed there, one through six at the top of your page. And so those are what we uh, believe are faithful representations of what uh, elders are responsible for. You can read through those uh, at your earliest... Com- Convenience and ask questions along those lines. Um, finally, you know, selection of deacons and deaconesses. You can see that in Article Nine, the first paragraph under Numeral One. Uh, the deacons and let's see, page twenty, Article Nine, Roman Numeral One. Deacons and deaconess hereafter, simply referred to as deacons, shall consist of a godly men and women who are members of Cherokee Baptist Church, possessing the qualifications described in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, shall approve, be approved annually by the Board of Elders. So there's, the approval goes through that. Um, and then finally, 23, uh, last page there, you see sort of amendments, Article 14, uh, Page 23, so uh, the Board of Elders shall draft and seek to amend this Constitution and bylaws as they deem necessary in the event that any changes are made by the Board of Elders. The elders shall inform the congregation in writing about those changes. So what you see there in all, uh, I'm trying to walk through some of those things so that we can gain clarity of what we think the Bible is teaching on these things. We're uh, describing a form of church government which is overseen by a group of godly men, uh, plurality of men that were uh, we the bible describes as elders and so we've walked through some of the major decision making processes we we think that the bible would uh, present those uh, things to a group of men called elders 
And then uh, I'm sure that there will be questions along those lines, and we'd like to address those next week. Uh, but one of the main questions that you ask is, well, if, that, if you believe the Bible teaches these things, then like, where's the accountability and all that, I guess? I mean, it seems somewhat um, self-serving in some way, I guess. I, I, I don't know how individuals, uh, how we may be tempted to view uh, a document like this. But, uh, but the, main, the question that may come is, well, how, where's the accountability and all that? And how does that work? And let, let me say that uh, in any... In any kind of relationship where a person is responsible to lead a group of individuals, you ought to take the leadership of individuals seriously. And so one of the things I, I know that I always tell Elizabeth is that if I ever make a decision that you think is selfless, uh, I'm committed to never make a decision for my own benefit. I mean, I, I really am. And so I want you to know that God's called me to lead our family. I'm going to, try, I'm going to do, I'm going to do so to the glory of God. Uh, but then, any time I'm ever going to ask you to follow me in anything, I want to give you a biblical reason for why I'm asking you to. I want to be able to point you to a chapter and verse and say, "This is what it says," and this is why uh, I think we should make this decision. And I want you to know that. Um, you can see a consistent pattern of my life where I'm not going to be asking you to do things just because I want you to do them. I want you to see that there's scriptural reason for that. And if at any point you get the feeling like that's not true, please show me. Please tell me. And I'm open to that. And at the same time, I mean, if you're going to be a person who leads well, you don't... You, 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 the Bible says if you give an answer before you hear, it's folly and shame to you. It's foolish and shameful. So, I mean, you want to spend... A lot of time getting to know uh, the people that you're uh, trying to lead. You want to spend a lot of time trying to ask questions, involve them in the process, give them the information, have as many conversations as it takes to gain uh, as much uh, uh, clarity as you possibly can. And so as you put forth a document like this, which describes that most of the decisions are going to be made in the context of an elder board, I mean, you can... uh, of course, that kind of thing can be abused, but if you're to lead a congregation well, you're going to want to know where they're at and what they're thinking. Um, give them chances to interact with you. Uh, in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, and so I think in even in trying to think through a document like this, you're wanting to, um, I mean, be very nervous about making big decisions without any kind of input or without any kind of advice. There's uh, many of you know things that we don't know, and um, many of you have areas of expertise that we don't. So we'd be just foolish people to uh, just make decisions without any input. I th- but I think the main point is what we believe the document to be spell- spell- spelling out is the what the Bible teaches. And so I think uh, from this time on, this is a until um, we uh, seek to put this forward as our governing document. That's the time for questions and comments and concerns and everything else. And so seeking to answer this question, well, what about accountability? Well, I think we want to live our lives in a way that is full disclosure. So, I mean, I I don't think, uh, you know, going forward when there's a group of godly elders in place, we're not wanting to hide anything. Uh, There there are various uh, features of the document which... um, which are going to put forward to the congregation how money is going to be spent. Uh, 
uh, you know, as we walk through nominating deacons, there's going to be a process where we uh, ask for input about that. As we nominate future elders, there's going to be a process where we uh, ask for input about these men. Do you see anything in their life that would be ungodly and uh, any reason that would disqualify them? And so there's not just going to be a decision made without any communication. As you, you walk through the church discipline process, you're going to co- corporately call the church to um, interact with this man. And so then, I mean, there's going to be a back and forth on, on how all these things uh, play out. And so it's not just going to be kind of a, all decisions are made at the board and then uh, no input from anyone at any point, any time anyone wants to um, uh, suggest anything. The doors are always open. I think uh, I, I hope that this kind of arrangement will facilitate more communication, more openness than uh, before. Uh, I mean, that's the hope. And so, um, as we're we're thinking about how these things work, there's plenty to, to be said about all these things. But I, I definitely. I know that there's probably many questions, and part of the reason why we're having um, next week devoted to Q&A is just to try to address those. But you don't have to actually wait until next week. I mean, call us up tomorrow and ask us questions about it. Show us scriptures. Uh, walk us, we'll walk through these and have a biblical conversation. So moving forward, I know next week what we're going to plan on doing is have a discussion about what we've presented. Um, in the meantime, be reviewing this document uh, come to us with any questions, concerns. Uh, you know, the, the office door is open, emails open, phones open. Uh, read it, study it. Uh, let's uh, be like the noble Bereans who are searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. If there's any questions about those, I know we'd be glad to entertain those things. But I think that would be uh, that's just a, the quickest way I know how to walk through a 22 page document. But I don't I know that there's plenty more to walk through and. Uh, plenty of questions that people have. But with that, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Pastor Kevin for the remainder of our time. And, and come uh, next week with some questions about this, and we'll we'll seek to answer those if we can. So you see now why we waited 16 weeks to present this to you. It's going to look a lot different than where, where we've been. Um, but at the same time, we wanted to have prepared your hearts for what we wanted to prepare us for how we function and so to be able to see that and the reality is in this is that for any of us i'll speak for men and and uh and general and husbands and fathers in particular uh, uh, if we've not been leading as biblical as we ought to lead uh, i think there needs to be a time where we communicate that and communicate where we're going and provide teaching in that and that's the goal why we've been taking the time and so many of you have said well 16 weeks we've We've talked through many of these things before, but not with the mindset that literally when we finish teaching this, we're going to present a new document and, and put it in our hands. There's always one of those things where one day we're kind of in an ethereal sense it's going to happen. Well, we wanted to bring that lie into light so that hopefully it would generate greater conversation and greater communication uh, in, our conver- in our small groups as we walk through this process. So uh, there's tons. Uh, there's already been a, a long process for us uh, in this time, but wanted to make sure to put this into your hands and give you a chance to be able to see major distinctives in this. And then once again, to provide an opportunity next week, next Sunday night, 6 p.m. to be here, be able to have a, a Q&A time for that, uh, for you to be able to generate questions and, and get some specific things once again. And not with any form of vote on the backside of next week either. So it's just simply clarity, making sure you understand um, uh, what the Bible teaches and not. And I would say this is one caveat for preparing for next week. Uh, as much as you possibly can uh, to generate uh, your questions based upon biblical 
understanding. What I mean by that is to say, well, I just think it's wise if we do this. That's okay, but the reality is we're going to try to be operating from is that there's then going to be a variety of ways that each one of us would say, I think it'd be a wise way to do it in this manner, right? Uh, and so I just think in that, so if you have questions regarding uh, 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 a variety of things, I think it's helpful for you. And so if you need, if that generates needs a need for discussion with us prior to Sunday, we, as Tim said, we encourage you to do so because it's not simply just, I, I think it's best to do it this way. That's wonderful, but there could be uh, 70 different ways that each of us think it's best to do it this way. Uh, and so we want to be able to look at, well, where do we find biblical warrant or precedent for that? And that would then help us to kind of generate that, if that's helpful. Okay, so that way it's, as we think, as you're thinking of questions and posing um, comments, questions, criticism, think of it in light of scriptural text that can help substantiate that so it's not just preferences, right? I think we should do this or I think we should do that. Uh, where's the scriptural precedence or warrant that would just help us to make sure that's the case because uh, we want to be able to make sure that's where we're, we're headed and where we're going. So this just helps us to be able to say, where in air matters of preference, you're like, okay, I, I want to meet your need, but also there's a variety of other preferences that we'd want to meet as well. And so let's, let's try to shy away from preferences and try to stick with scripture if we could. I think that'll help us next week, even as we have some Q&A time. So um, with that being said, I, we, we typically do a, a prayer request time, but I, in a lot of, uh, of this, unless there's a major need, uh, and if so I would definitely want to hear that, but uh, we just typically just poll. It's already almost 7.50, uh, and so I want to guard your heart and guard your time, and I know many of you have early appointments tomorrow. Any major prayer requests that we want to be praying for, just um, um, uh, needs of... Um, of vast importance that we need to just make sure we, we brought. And if not, then you can contact church office. We can definitely disseminate that through prayer requests or to our email tomorrow. Anything that's pressing, even for in the morning, that we'd like to pray for. And then after that, I'll close this in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Any needs? Absolutely. The last part, how we love one another. And then food for us is perfect. I agree. It's a great prayer request. Any others? Thank you, Dean. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge that there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That, Lord, we, we desire to have the unity of the bond of peace. It would govern our hearts and our, our lives. So, Father, we have a, a document in our hands that uh, has the potential, Lord, to not move us that direction, uh, at least at first glance. And so I pray that, Lord, you would, you would take uh, this document. I want us to look and add it in light of Scripture and that we would study, each one of us study to show ourselves approved, approved workers that should not be ashamed of the gospel. And that, Lord, as we look at it in light of Scripture and at Scripture in light of it, uh, that, Lord, that you would grant us wisdom, grant us clarity, grant us unity, that, Lord, even if there are changes to be made on the backside, um, that, Lord, it would be ones that would be an attempt to aid even this document to be more biblical and to be more scriptural. And so that's all our prayer is, that, Lord, that uh, your Spirit would, would lead us and would guide us, and that, Lord, in the midst of vast diversity in this room, there would be tremendous unity. And the matters that are essential, that, Lord, we would not compromise on the matters that are non-essentials, that, uh, Lord, that we would be able to um, 
compromise quickly. And I pray, Father, that you would, um, not only in relation to this document, but just interpersonal relationships, uh, that, Lord, uh, how we treat one another, how we minister one another, how we would uh, love one another, confront one another, forgive one another, uh, pursue one another, greet one another, that, Lord, we would begin to see those areas that we would grow in and that, Lord, we would continue to sow seeds of the gospel and light of each other. And so uh, I pray for next, pray for this week. I pray for next week's uh, Q&A, that, Lord, it would be an extremely beneficial time uh, for us and that even, Lord, there might be disagreement and agreements to disagree, uh, that, Lord, we can do it in an agreeable manner uh, and that, Lord, it would not create the, the, the uh, more division, but, Lord, it would create more unity in our midst as we can hopefully openly dialogue and communicate uh, based upon scriptural warrants and, and precedents and texts uh, that would lead and govern our time. And so, Lord, I thank you for the time invested tonight. I thank you for uh, preparing our hearts for uh, ministry of the word, even as we leave this place. That, Lord, even my own heart and life, there's work to be done in my home uh, as it relates to salvation and of children and, and the others' homes in this room and a variety of reasons that there was not in a not a freedom and a liberty to be able to partake in the Lord's table. And I pray for whatever those uh, uh, reasons of unrest or of a lack, potentially lack of repentance or a variety of other needs that might be in this room, that, Lord, that we would find relief and, uh, and um, joy uh, from turning from those things by trusting, placing those things at your feet, by petitioning you in a lot of those things, or, and we would not worry or be fretful, but, Lord, you'll the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts and mind and light of many of those things. And so, and Lord, the next time that we're able to participate in the Lord's table, that we'd be able to participate joyfully and willingly. But I'm grateful for the sensitivity in the hearts uh, who chose not to participate for whatever variety of reasons. And I pray they would deal with you in accordance to those situations. And then for great needs that are in this room, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether it's uh, physical uh, and a variety of other means, I pray that, God, that you would meet those greatest needs and we would cry out to you in our distress that you would hear us and deliver us and that you shall be glorified. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here and you're dismissed. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.